0: For our Scripture reading this afternoon, we'll turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew 26. And we'll read from the verses 31 through 68. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night... Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then Jesus came with them to a place called called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given him a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And then they came and lay hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus, but Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scripture be fulfilled that it must thus happen? In that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber, with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled then all the disciples forsook him and fled and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest where the scribes and the elders were assembled but peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. And even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us, if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And thus far the reading of God's holy word. And our focus this evening will be on this last section from verses 57 through 68, when Jesus faces the Sanhedrin in the trial. And after the Lord Jesus was captured by this band of soldiers and brought them out of the Garden of Gethsemane to be examined by the high priest, then as we consider this morning... The high priest was the one who was to approach the tabernacle, who was to approach the presence of God, and who was to bring the sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. But here, we can see it from a different angle, from the angle of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come as our great high priest, but also as our sacrifice, who now here offers himself up, willingly to become that sacrifice, even being led in a way by the high priest here to be sacrificed, to be condemned by the high priest. And so our theme for this afternoon is Christ's trial by the high priest. And first we will consider that Christ would be judged by the high priest. In verse 57 there it says, "...and those who laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest." And for a bit of context here, the, the Lord Jesus He would undergo two trials. And each of these trials seemed to have three stages to them. The first was the, the ecclesiastical trial, and the second was the civil. The civil one was with Pilate and Herod, but his first one, the ecclesiastical one, it was under the Jewish religious leaders. And Jesus was first brought to Annas. The father-in-law to Caiaphas, which happened right before this, uh, verse 57. You can read about that in John 18. And then this is the second part of that trial, where they now brought him to Caiaphas's house. And then in, in chapter 27, they have to reconvene again uh, before the Sanhedrin to have a trial that's considered more legal, because it was actually illegal to have a trial at night. And the Jews, they had... Uh, lost their ability to have any civil trials because the Romans had uh, taken them over. But according to their own laws, the high priest here still had a sense of judicial authority. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 8, God had instructed the people that if there was a difficult case where it was not clear if the person was guilty of death or not, they had to bring him to the priest. And going to the priest was a way to seek God's guidance and help, a way to seek God's help in judging the matter honestly and justly. And so it represents God's justice in the courts. And refusing to follow the priest's ruling was even to reject God's authority in the decisions that were made. And that itself was punishable by death. And that's something to keep in mind here as, as, they, as you hear Uh, Caiaphas speak. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 10, it says, "...you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you." They had to listen to the verdict of the priest. And what the high priest said had to be followed. And so this is also part of the reason why they brought him to Caiaphas, the high priest. He was to judge between the witnesses that they brought forward to determine the appropriate punishment for Christ. And so he'd be making a ruling on on behalf of the the church. And he was supposed to, he he was the one to represent the case to ensure that God's justice would be followed. And then his ruling would be brought to the civil courts, to the Roman rulers for further execution because the Jews themselves were not able to put anyone to death. And so here, Jesus is brought to the high priest the high priest who by his very office represents the Lord Jesus Christ as the only mediator between man and God. He was to represent that sinless perfection that was required of us to, to approach God, and that was pictured in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here he is the representative for the church of God in the, in the presence of God. But it is here exactly where the truth of God and the justice of God and the holiness of God is to be, represent, be represented, that He, along with the elders and the rulers of the nation, are opposing and, and rejecting God and conspiring at the most deceitful evil against Christ, the Son of God. And so, we see. Secondly, Christ, in His innocence, Christ was innocent as He faced this trial. Verse 59, it says, they sought false testimony against Jesus to put Him to death, but found none. So the the truth of Christ's innocence was so obvious that they were unable to find any false witnesses who could agree against Him. It it required them to, to look for false witnesses, to come up with something or anything against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so instead of representing the justice of God fairly, The high priest is using his divine authority here to corrupt justice. And that's because they had already resolved to put Christ to death. And now they only needed a reason to do so. If you look back in verses 3 to 5 of this chapter, it says, And the chief priest, the scribes, and elders of the people assembled at the palaces of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery, and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they they had predetermined to kill the Lord Jesus, but now they needed a way to do it. And so here these, these men, so blinded by sin and hatred against God, blinded with enmity against God, against the only way of salvation. And isn't that the story of all of our hearts and lives by nature? that we are blinded by enmity against God, against His only Son, His only way of salvation for a sinner. That until the Lord opens our hearts and eyes to see His salvation in His Word, in His Son, and then we fight against it. And in chapter 27, verse 18, it says that even Pilate knew that they brought Him out of envy. They hated Jesus. They hated the truth of God, which exposed their own sins and hypocrisy and lies. But because Caiaphas represented the justice of God, everything here was also happening according to the decree and the sovereign will of God. This was also foreordained of God for the purpose of saving sinners that even Caiaphas, out of hatred and enmity in his heart, did it to pervert justice. They meant it for evil, while God meant it for good. And God's divine justice would be perfectly executed. Christ here needed to be legally condemned to death by the religious leaders, by the ecclesiastical body, because Christ would be made sin for us. He would go to the cross condemned as a sinner, even though he was innocent. That's what Isaiah 53 prophesied more than 700 years before, where it says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord would cause the iniquity of his people to land on Christ. Though innocent, he'd be pronounced guilty by the high priest, the one who is the legal representative of God's divine justice. And although many false witnesses did come forward, they said they could find none, none who could agree, nothing that was credible against him. And they, they could not condemn anyone if there, were no, not, if there were not at least two witnesses that agreed. And so this whole trial was really a farce. It was, it was illegal for many reasons. One, it was held in a private home, which was illegal. And Trials were not to be held during the Passover season. And this would be follow, uh, finalized on the, on the feast day. It was held in the middle of the night. That also was illegal. The arrest itself was made in the middle of the night by a traitor and with a bribe. Here Jesus would also be interrogated and, and, and asked to confess His own crime instead of seeking, his, uh, seeking the truth on His side. It was also not legal to pronounce a guilty verdict on the same day. By Jewish law, he had to wait at least one night to, to let all the emotions settle. And a Jewish law also said that all false witnesses had to be put to death. And here it said there were many false witnesses, but you don't read about them being tried and put to death. And so all this should have convinced the people there that the Lord Jesus was truly innocent. That they ent- but they entered this trial looking for false evidence to find any way to kill him. And all this had to happen so that the Lord Jesus Christ could become the substitute for sinners. And we see thirdly how Christ remained silent. When finally two witnesses came and claimed that they heard Jesus say that he would destroy the temple of God and build it in three days... Then they expect Jesus to explain himself or to defend himself. But they, dis- they misunderstood that he was talking about the temple of his body, that he would be in the grave and rise again from the dead. But to destroy the temple of God was seen as, as slander against God, and that would be a serious crime. But it says in verse 63, Jesus kept silent. There was no need for him to defend himself against all these false accusations. Remember, Jesus said in verse 53 that if he wanted to, he could call twelve legions of angels to, to defend him, to, to protect him. But then he said, how then could the Scriptures be fulfilled? How then could the will of God happen? And in verse 56, but all this was done that the Scriptures and the prophets might be fulfilled. He must be condemned as guilty, because he would be the perfect high priest. He would be that perfect sacrifice for sin. But here we see Christ submitting willfully to his Father, fulfilling yet another scripture in verse Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The Lord Jesus silently and willingly endured this suffering to be condemned. And here Christ's time had come. In John 7, He said His time had not yet come. That's why the people did not lay hold of Him then. But now the time is here. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ faced the reality of the suffering. When He he submitted fully to the cup that His Father would give Him. He was the Lamb of God. He would be the one to be led to the slaughter by the high priest. As we started discussing or hearing this morning of the Day of Atonement when the high priest was appointed to bring the sacrifice on behalf of the people. Here, Caiaphas, the anointed high priest, is leading Christ, so to speak, the Lamb of God, as a great atoning sacrifice for his people. And he would condemn this sacrifice as guilty and bring it before the Lord to be sacrificed. And so that's our fourth thought: Christ is falsely condemned. He would be falsely condemned as a liar for speaking the truth under oath as he becomes sin for his people. The high priest, in utter frustration, he jumps up and he he speaks to Christ. It seemed seemed like the whole trial would fall apart and and not get where they wanted. And and they could find nothing to incriminate Christ. And so, Echaipha stands up and seems to take the trial into his own hands. No doubt the fact that they had it in the middle of the night, and all of them probably missed a night of sleep, and this is the early morning hours. They were probably tired and difficult to control their emotions. And so he says in verse 63, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he's putting Christ here in a position where he has to answer. He uses the weightiest oath possible. He said, by the living God, And he's treating Christ as if he's a liar, as if he would lie to the face of the the high priest of the Lord. While the whole trial itself is is a string of lies and deceit. People had asked him this before in John 10. Tell us plainly if you're the Christ. And he demonstrated with his life and actions who he was. And so the high priest says, are you the Christ, the Son of God? Are you the promised Messiah? Messiah. Now, why is he asking this? Well, Caiaphas was not ready to believe on the Lord Jesus. No, he wanted an answer that could incriminate him, so he could use it against him. And that's because no one else could condemn Christ. So he's looking for Christ's own words to condemn him, because no one else can condemn the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is another way we see that the Lord Himself submitted Himself to this. He's the one who would lay lay down His life It's the Lord who laid upon him the iniquity. Christ did it willingly for his people, and so Christ says in verse 64, it is as you said. Jesus affirms under oath that he is the Christ, knowing that it will further anger the enmity of his enemies against him. And he doesn't only affirm that he is the Christ, the anointed Son of God who has come to redeem His people. But he, he goes on to say in verse 64, Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Here Jesus is acknowledging that He is the sacrifice to be appointed to die for sinners. Here He is subjecting Himself to the shame of, to the humiliation, to the oppression of sinful men, so that he could lay down his life as a ransom for many. And he's doing this as the Son of God, sent by the Father as a demonstration of his love for his creation. And it shows the reality of Romans 5, verse 8, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While they were venting in enmity and hatred at him, Christ willingly lay down his life. But then Christ also makes clear that he, as the Son of Man, will also receive all power in heaven and earth. He is the judge of all the earth. And they will see him again in the clouds of heaven, the right hand of power. He's equating himself with the glory, with the power of God. And he's saying he will be crucified, he will be buried, but he will rise again from the dead to ascend into heaven and to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. And he says this as a warning to these people who are putting him on this mock trial and a warning to us that though they mock and reject Christ's words and his his demands on their life now, and though they reject him as their only hope of salvation, one day they will see him sitting there with all power and authority in heaven and earth. And to all of us, whoever might reject him now or turn away from him now, the day will come when he will, will be seen seated at the right hand of power, where he, where he will be our judge for time and eternity. But this is also the great comfort of all God's people, Though in this world they are often falsely accused or ridiculed or misunderstood or they face the opposition of the wicked, just like Christ did, it's a comfort to know that God knows your heart. That we do not need to justify ourselves against false accusations all the time. And that's why we do not need to fear what man can do to us, as the Lord Jesus said. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear Him who can cast both soul and body into hell. That's why he says, even if they drag you in front of the courts, in front of the magistrates, do not fear, but do not worry about what you're going to say. It's also a comfort, knowing that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Because just like these Pharisees and his leaders were not ready to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, neither are we. We are not ready to believe on Christ, but we look for everything to incriminate him. Until the Lord works in our hearts with His Holy Spirit, we resist that salvation. And so whether it's a family member now who is resisting the gospel, who is turning away from the Lord Jesus and, and rejecting His way, it is God who saves. It is God who died for His people while they were yet sinners. And He is the one with His Spirit who can save and deliver from that power of sin. And so here Jesus, for speaking truth under oath, is condemned as a liar. And then Caiaphas in verse 65, it says, the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. And what further need do we have of witnesses? Now look, look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And it was so that in Leviticus 24, verse 16, that God said whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And that's what they think the Lord Jesus is doing. Now God is so holy that anyone who blasphemes His name must be put to death. And the third commandment still says that whoever takes the name of the Lord thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. And here the Lord Jesus has made Himself equal with God. He was claiming to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel 7, and that was a prophecy that only God could make because it spoke of His power in heaven, on the clouds of heaven, having authority to judge all the earth and to receive an everlasting dominion. So here the Lord Jesus, under the under the oath, says, declares to be God. And so either He is right and speaking perfect truth, or he is blaspheming, for which he must be put to death. And here Caiaphas, being so blinded by envy and hatred and sin, chooses to believe that the Lord Jesus lied under oath and made himself equal with God. And so blind we are by nature, and so blind we are in our sins, that we cannot see the truth of God when it is plainly held before us. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to open our hearts and to show His salvation and to deliver us from our sins. And so here Christ, this sinless high priest, who would enter into the very presence of God on behalf of His people, was condemned to death by the high priest. And He, in a hypocritical display of horror here, He tears His Clothing. I don't know if it doesn't say if it's his high priestly garments or not, but he pretended that it was a horror to his sight, whereas it would have been a relief and a delight to his heart that now he had found reason to put Christ to death. And in this apparent victory, he now turns to the Sanhedrin, which he had previously overridden, and he says, What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, you have now heard of blasphemy. What do you think? And so he gives up on having witnesses, and he says, now You tell us, what do you think? And he tries to draw the elders in, and they all say he's deserving of death. And so again, Caiaphas is using his high priestly authority to, to sway the people. His judgment was to be taken as God's judgment. But false witnesses need to be put to death. And here he himself is being a false witness because he doesn't understand the truth that the Lord Jesus spoke. And later he would say, when Pilate asked, well, what did the Lord Jesus do? And they would say, well, we have a law. And by our law he ought ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. And that's their verdict. But they themselves don't have the authority to execute that. So then they have to reconvene in the morning to make it official, and then they have to bring it to Pilate. But then we see, fifthly, that Christ willingly submitted Himself. In verse 68, in verse 67, it says, Then they spat in His face and beat Him, and others struck Him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, Who is the one who struck you? Here, Christ, as our great high priest and as our only sacrifice for sin is treated as the most vile sinner, but he willingly submits his back to those who beat him. Another prophecy, Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. The Lord humbles himself to this place, and that he willingly endures this shameful suffering before his people. But it shows the heinous boldness of the mockery of sin. That when they think they have the law on their side, they're so emboldened in their sinful actions. And even we here in our nation when people want to justify their own sinful actions, they're so emboldened in them when the law appears to be against, on their side and against God. And so now here they are mocking Christ. And they say, prove to us that you're the Christ. Prophesy to us Christ, they say, and they're mocking. They say, if you are the Christ, if you are the Son of God, you should know who's hitting you and who's mocking you. Here they blindfolded Him, they blindfolded the Son of God and think that He does not know who they are, but He is the very God who can peer into their hearts, who knows the very sin of your hearts, who knows the very hypocrisy of our hearts. But He could also see the love of God His Father and His own love for them, and that he, he remained silent, enduring this shame because He knew this was the only way to save sinners to save those who now were opposing Him and who were now despising and spitting out their envy, their enmity upon Him. And why did He submit to that? Why did did Christ have to undergo, undergo this trial? Well, it's because you and I also are false witnesses consenting to His crucifixion. That you and I also spit in God's face whenever we prefer our own sin over God's will. And when we in our life resisted His salvation, and when we turned away from Him, did not want to come to church, did not want to hear His voice, did not want to listen to the Word of God or to our parents or to the pastors, but we fled and stopped our ears But even now, for God's own people, how often do these sins still rise up in us? How often do they still overwhelm us and rise up against the Christ who had to suffer and die for everyone? And we might be quick to accuse the unbeliever who says, well, prove prove to us if there is a God. But every time we harbor sin, in our hearts or in our mind, we are saying to God, prove to me that you are God. But here Christ has come in sinless perfection to face these violent assaults of mankind against their Creator so that He could lay down His life as a ransom for many. And it's a picture of our own life, isn't it? Of our own life against our own Creator. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is why He had to be tried by the high priest, so that He could take our sin upon Him, so that He could stand in our place before His Father to be condemned as a guilty sinner and to bear the punishment that we deserve so that we can now receive the pardon. He was condemned to death so that we can receive that eternal life. And today He still receives sinners. Today His death is still effective uh, to forgive the sins of all those who have even up to this point lived in enmity against him. And this day he still works to continue to deliver his people from their sins. Let us then turn our eyes unto him and see and consider how low he has come to deliver us from the pit of hell for his glory and for our salvation. Amen.